action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic in lockdown you've never heard of. And we've not gone to the movies because we're all <laughs> in lockdown. We haven't been anywhere in five weeks. On this episode, we're going to run down some movie suggestions across various streaming platforms. How is lockdown treating you? It's great. Um, I live a generally kind of a lockdown style life anyway. So apart from the fact that I can't nip into Tesco and just grab something in five minutes, it hasn't really changed my life. Like I spent January and February kind of working from home, furiously writing. So I but you know, as soon as as soon as I was coming out of that period and thinking, right, now maybe it's time to get out and see people and see the world and maybe go to the pub every once in a while. No, sorry, you've got to go home now. So And it did not happen. And it hasn't changed. Stay home. So I'm saying I've you know, how are you? I'm basically the same. You know, we're freelance, so working from home is our go to thing. So the adjustment hasn't been too difficult. Yeah. The only thing I don't do, I don't go to the cinema. And I don't go to Starbucks. And that's big and for you. I don't go you, to the comic shop. You go to the cinema sort of four or five times a week sometimes. <laughs> I go like <laughs> twice a week. Or I do like, I do like my, my double movie Super Sunday where I'll see a film in the afternoon, get a bite to eat, see a film in the evening and drive home. It's like 15 minutes down the road. So, and, it's, and it's a cine world, so it doesn't cost me anything mm. outside of my regular 20 quid a month or whatever it is they're they're charging these days yeah this is the guy who's got know. life sorted. my my staff deal with all my direct debit <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. so lockdown's not been too not been too difficult and and this is the first episode where we're not in the same room recording together yeah we have always obviously recorded in my kitchen whatever flat i happen to be living in at that time yes. we have at least been across the table from each other so this is pioneering this is like the future we don't need to be in the same room eating the same bowl of crap, crappy chocolate that we normally have <laughs> and i don't need to be pissing from my eyes because of your hairy pussy <laughs> in fact i don't think i need to see you in person ever again rob just shut your eyes shut your eyes and you burst into flames <laughs> i've watched an abundance of oh i hate the word content i've watched a lot of movies I think I'm up to about 53 movies in lockdown now. Bloody hell. And I've watched a lot of television. Yeah, that is a lot. It's become part of my routine. Because I think when you start watching a TV show, it can't just be, oh, I'll come back to it in two months' time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have, to, you have to binge them. So I've binged, reluctantly, The Tiger King. It was a real struggle because... Have you watched it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. The, I found it... In, it, it just excruciatingly boring there's just there wasn't enough story or enough happening to warrant seven episodes i felt that the i felt that tiger king should have been like an hour and a half a two-hour netflix documentary movie not not seven episodes of basically the same thing each episode <laughs> yes joe exotic is weird yes He's fucking strange. Yes, he's an asshole. I get it. He loves tigers, but he burns them. He has like this weird magnetic thing where these little redneck straight boys come and be all gay with him and then die or lose their teeth. And oh, he hates Carol Baskin. Please tell me that one more time, please. <laughs> I thought it was great that, 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 that we live in a world now where, you know, places like Netflix are able to devote that much time to to one story because they're such huge characters and i think yeah it did ironically unironically chase its tail a little bit um i thought <laughs> that there were such compelling inverted commas characters obviously they are real people they were so compelling to watch that i actually didn't mind that it was what seven or eight hours long because i just found them so morbidly fascinating that i could happily spend that much time with them on, on the, the flip side <laughs> there was a documentary that came out during lockdown called uh, The Circus of Books. Mm, which I haven't actually watched yet. Uh, it's about a Jewish couple who ended up buying 
a um sort of a, a gay themed bookshop or a bookshop that caters to the gay community so it's got lots of it's got the back room where it's got porn and then it's got you know call me by your name up front you know the nice stuff up front the porn at the back and then they started making their own porn it was an hour and a half documentary that should have been a a four-part series because they just brushed over really interesting parts just because there wasn't enough time was that a netflix original yes during lockdown Disney Plus launched in this country and I signed up specifically for one week just for the free trial just so I could binge watch The Mandalorian. Do you know what? I did the exact same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I can't think why. And I I thought it was brilliant. It was the closest thing in tone and sort of look to the Tatooine scenes in episode four. It doesn't resemble anything else that has happened in Star Wars. Not even Empire Strikes Back, certainly not Return of the Jedi, definitely not the prequels, and absolutely not the sequel trilogy or mesh of three films that they've just haphazardly released over the last four years. It's a low-key Western, and it's perfect. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really. I did think it was perfect, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I think you're right. It was kind of before it was released it was almost sold as this is closer to rogue one um but as you said it's not really it's probably i've never seen them but it feels like it should be closer to things like that animated clone wars tv series where they're kind of short um almost isolated stories that have an overarching yeah plot so like the, the whole second episode of the mandalorian is basically mando trying to get his ship back together because the the Jawas have dismantled it. And that's the story. That's the entire second episode. Yeah, it's very it's very episodic, which mm. which is obviously a no-brainer. It goes back to the origins of Star Wars, the 1950s yeah. serials. Yeah. And I don't mean like cornflakes. I mean like the <laughs> things that Indiana Jones is based on. The thing that I really, really liked, A, it's a low-key Western, but it's also... A, a low-key samurai thing. It feels very Sergio Leone and Akira Kurosawa, which is exactly what Lucas was going for when he made the original Star Wars back in 1977. And it's really telling that in the credit, it's not saying based on or based on characters created by George Lucas. It says based on Star Wars created by George Lucas. Mm. And I think that is a specific thing that maybe John Favreau was going for. He's part of that Generation X where Star Wars is their thing they grew up on. Do you think that John Favreau went into the meeting with Disney and basically just said Baby Yoda? Because that is the genius of the show, I think, is that it is Lone Wolf and Cub, but the Cub is Baby Yoda, who is Well, it's not Baby Yoda, it's just the child. Because it's set yes. after Jedi. Yeah. So Yoda's yeah, already yeah, of dead course, by the But everyone's time. calling it yeah. Baby Yoda. But I just love the fact that they could have gone sort of really disgustingly adorable. They could have had it being sick and like farting and giggling and rolling its eyes, doing yeah. a gizmo. But actually, it barely moves. Like it, it's, mm. it barely moves. And when it does move, it makes such a huge impact. So like when the, when the child is reaching for the little like bobbly thing on the top of the, the, the deck, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and they but did they played that it, really really exceptionally well i have to say they found a perfect balance it didn't feel like they were shoehorning in the new merchandise right which is what the gungans were which is what the ewoks were mm. which is what dio is in rise of skywalker and talking of rise of skywalker if the mandalorian is a perfect way to create something within the star wars universe rise of skywalker which i also watched on my week three it's the complete foil. It's not the way to do a Star Wars film. Mm. That's the one that feels most created by committee where they go, yeah. well, we need to tick this box and this box and this box. And then we need to do this, this and this. And this character needs to come back in. Oh, and we've also got to have him in because we promised him a cameo. Okay, go and make a overbloated two and a <laughs> half hour end to a nine trilogy, uh, a, a, a nine film epic but please ignore the last film and undo everything yeah. good that was done in that film 
but that's but, this, but Star Wars, like you said, it's come full circle. So whereas Lucas's genius was taking those um, serial uh, sort of Western type stories and turning them into yeah. a big sci-fi blockbuster movie, we don't need movies and TV have have changed so much since then that now actually. We don't need the big bloated blockbuster Star Wars. Actually, the best thing is mm. to have it serialized again, like a TV show like The Mandalorian. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's amazing that we've reached a point now where where we can actually do Star Wars on TV. I know that obviously Disney has all the money, but I remember when <laughs> The Mandalorian was first... All the money. All the money. I remember when The Mandalorian was first announced or a, a, a TV series, a Star Wars live action TV series was announced a few years ago. I thought, fuck, that's going to be either really, really amazing because what if they if they pull off what they do in films visually and budget wise on a TV show, that is going to be amazing or it's going to be shoestring and shit. And actually they've done, they've created something that is almost perfect. Like you said, like visually it's perfect. But weirdly it doesn't, fit it doesn't seem to fit the mold of television like it, it it seems to sit somewhere between television and cinema because it's not overly flashy some of the sets do look a bit cheap on a star wars in in, in a star wars context mm. um especially that that episode on the prison uh it looked a bit glossy red dwarf yeah it did yeah on, yeah. on the prison spaceship but it isn't necessarily full-on sci-fi television it's not star trek the next generation no. it's not um what's oh what was that firefly show called with with the no 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 i never watched that that's a joss whedon thing isn't mm. it um space precinct that's it oh yeah <laughs> so it's not that jumble sale look but it's not as <laughs> jumble sale brilliant you know it's not as slick as as the the jj films have been yeah but what it lacks in its slickness it makes up in the fact that it has a very clear through line Mm. And unfortunately, episode seven, episode eight and episode nine, no one sat down and said, you know what? We need to have a, a overarching idea of where this trilogy is going. They mm. paid four billion dollars and they didn't think about how they're going to connect That's the just, dots and, what, isn't it and even what the dots are. It's like buying a like an interlink train ticket when you go on your year <laughs> off and then not actually deciding what train and what city you're going to go to you just yeah. wing it yeah which is why the end of the last jedi felt like the end of the saga mm. and then rise of skywalker just felt like i don't know maybe like an extended credit sequence yeah. where they try and try and gear in a, you know crowbar in a few more ideas yeah it, it was terrified of taking any risks like the the moment 100 percent spoilers but the moment where you think that chewbacca has died because ray's blown up the ship is like oh shit 100%. and then within what three minutes you see that he's alive again and it's almost like just ryan johnson would have guts. left him dead yeah yeah absolutely ryan and johnson shows would you have left his rotting dead. fairy he... corpse <laughs> <laughs> Just like just hair just floating, down. draped, yeah, just draped and over, just, and just a distant. <laughs> but also, um, Ryan Johnson would have left C three PO's memory wiped, mm. so they would have killed C three PO, and they wouldn't have introduced so many new characters that just weren't needed, like the one who wouldn't take a helmet off, mm. the one with. Um, the one who's possibly Lando's daughter. Or oh god, that was painful. Future bride or whatever. Yeah. And they didn't need another. They didn't need Dio, the little droid. Who was that? R two could have done all oh, that. Oh, I shit. forgot about that. Yeah. No, thank oh, you. Yeah, thank you. totally forgot about that. Yeah. So mm, bizarre. Shame. Very bizarre. Shame. But on this episode, we are going to run down um, one film recommendation each per streaming platform. We're going to be covering Amazon Prime. Netflix, BFI Player, and Mubi, or Mubi. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Mubi. It's, obvious, it's clearly Mubi. So, Joshua, your suggestion for Amazon Prime. Let me hear it. Okay. Um, this is completely random, but as soon as I saw that it was showing on Amazon Prime for free, if you have a subscription, I knew that, that <laughs> for was... free. Everything's for free. free. Um, I knew that that was the film that I had to choose. And it's a 2013 supernatural mystery thriller 
directed by Stephen Summers, and it's called Odd Thomas. Oh, I've never watched it, but it looks well. I you think know. I think you'd like it. <laughs> it I good. I loved it. It's about it's about Odd Thomas, played by Anton Yelchin, sadly R.I.P. Oh. Um, and he's a psychic who lives in small town America, and he has abilities to like see things that other people can't see and um it's most, just kind of well most psychics do yeah and it's a crazy batshit mystery that does really interesting different things it's the pace of it is amazing um and i just loved it so i saw it at fright fest 2000 well it must have been 2013 2012 and it just didn't really do anything over here like when it came out i think it was either straight to dvd or it was had a very very limited run in the cinemas and um, I just loved it. It's so much fun. Like, obviously, I love Buffy and Charmed and all that stuff. So it completely is yes. made for me. But if you love those shows Does it feel like well, a film or does it feel like an extended TV episode? It, it looks pretty slick. It actually feels more like the TV show, um, I think it's called Dead Like Me, which was about Grim Reapers going around the world, capturing souls and stuff. It has, a, has kind of a, a Dead Like Me feel to it. Um, uh-huh. I haven't watched it what in a long time. was the TV show where the guy had no belly button? <laughs> had no belly button? Isn't that he the main no belly button. I think because he was created, like, synthetically. It's within the last 10 or so years, and, like, standard floppy black hair, white guy, good body, but mm. no belly button. I thought that's what Odd Thomas was. That does sound really familiar, but I can't think what it was. I think it's got no an X and a Y in the title. Button. Oh, was it Kyle XY? That's it. Yeah, I never watched it. And the poster looks just like Smallville, where basically he's lifting up his T-shirt to show off his six-pack with no belly button. Which is, (laughs) well, we all now have, now we're in lockdown. So that's my Amazon Prime choice. What's yours, Rob? My selection on Prime Mm. is Terry Gilliam's 1985 Opus Brazil. I have never seen it. So I'd never seen it in properly until, well, this lockdown. I bought it on Blu-ray about two or three years ago, and I tried to watch it, and I just couldn't get on with it. I just okay. couldn't get into it. And then I rewatched Twelve Monkeys, which is not on Amazon. I've got it on DVD, but I would also suggest that. And I no. thought, right, you know, I'm going to give this Brazil another try because they keep talking about it. Whenever I see people talking about Terry Gilliam, they always talk about brazil being his masterpiece and it Mm. really is it's really really a a a brilliant piece of british filmmaking which is an odd thing to say because terry gilliam is american but Mm. he's lived over here for years he's obviously part of monty python he is quintessentially british the film is quintessentially british i've i've seen very few of his films well same so i've seen 12 monkeys i've seen his Mm. python stuff i've seen um oh that might be it <laughs> that genuinely time, might bandits. Be it. time bandits is the one i really want to watch and i've never got around to watching i tried to watch the jabberwocky oh last yeah we couldn't get on with it because it's too mm. similar to uh sort of monty python stuff and i'm sort of over that but brazil mm. is i mean the original title was going to be 1984 and a half because it's <laughs> sort of that kind of dystopian future where information is controlled Mm. and you have um government organizations set up just to make the paperwork and the red tape and the bureaucracy difficult for people to navigate not too dissimilar to the current universal credit system Mm. in this country Mm -hmm. um but it is visually it is so terry gilliam with his sort of wide-angled fisheye lenses with his love of um, German expressionist movies like Metropolis or M. Um, And it's got a really wry sense of humour. And it's, weirdly, the action is brilliant. The effects and the flying effects are great. It's all puppets or it's all models, but they look brilliant Mm. and it it doesn't feel i mean it feels a little bit baggy but i can't think of what to remove it's one Hmm. of those where you go it has to remain as it is because if you take anything out then like a house of cards it'll all come tumbling down Mm. all right i'll give it a watch 
and give that one I a watch. I will watch your recommendation. Let's move on to Netflix, the all big right. daddy of them all. I know Netflix is tough because there is so much on there. It's, it's mm. and you know, they do actually have a lot of really good stuff. Not that I'm, I don't work for Netflix, but uh, just having a little look through, I thought, shit, they have got a ton of stuff in here. It's a shame that I've seen it all. But so it's a shame you have seen it all. I have I've pretty much seen all the films on Netflix <laughs> that you want to watch. That's because most of the films that they have are the ones that we would be seeing at the cinema as we grew up because they don't really have much past, you know, before 1980. Mm. And even then, that's a struggle. It's mainly the last 20 years. They yeah, they have lots of sort of of that classic stuff. They have lots of new, very teen focused new stuff. Um, and they have lots of indie stuff that seems to come pretty much straight direct from festivals. It's got sad. If you want to watch Miseducation of Cameron Post, that's amazing. It's very sad. If you want something slightly I still haven't watched that. Really good. Really good. Okay. Yeah, not as good as... Is she a vampire in it? She's never... I mean, she was a vampire, wasn't she? In Let Me In. She's a vampire in everything. Um, no, she was Hit Girl. <laughs> she was a vampire in that. Yeah. She was a vampire in that. Uh, vampire dancing movie. Vampire Suspiria. dancing movie. Oh yeah. Were yeah, yeah, yeah. they vampire or witches? She was a vampire in um, uh, Let the Remake. The Equalizer. She was <laughs> the Equalizer. Uh, Bad Neighbors she was a Two. Vampire in everything. She was a vampire in Greta. What's that film where she? What's that film she's in where she? Five hundred. Oh, did you just say it? Five hundred days. Of no, no. I always forget she's in that. Yeah, she plays a vampire she's, in that. Yeah, she is. She's, she's like outside playing soccer as a vampire. It's great. Like progression, well, progression. Well, those sparkly, those sparkly ones. <laughs> they can go out in the sun, they just sparkle. Uh, well, give me a education of Karen Post to watch because it's really good. Okay, um, I missed it when it was in the cinema because I felt they were trying to piggyback onto Call Me By Your Name because they rearranged, they they, they made the poster look the same. They did the blue How background with the yellow handwritten. With yeah, the yellow really, writing. Really yeah. um, bad. But. Really stupid. Um, really stupid choice to do that. Should I give you my actual recommendation for Netflix? Was that not your recommendation? No, that was my kind of, this is a good film, watch it if you want to, but this is the film that you should watch. Well, that, that, that is the definition of a recommendation, <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> I'm not cheating, okay? I'm not cheating. <laughs> this is like when we did our top 10 of the decade and you gave two films per decade. You went, so The Matrix is really good, but I really want you to watch this one. I can't do favourites. I just can't. I feel bad for all the other films. All right, are you ready for my actual recommendation? Uh, yes. This is purely, this for two reasons. Partly because it's a really, really, really good film. And partly because it's a film that is 165 minutes long. So if you're going to watch anything during lockdown, you may as well watch a long film because it's going to tide the time. Uh, and the film is Boyhood. Oh, I, it's on my list and I've not yet watched it. This is the well, film that took 12 years to make. Yeah, Richard Linklater, and he sort of reassembled his cast every couple of years between 2001 and 2012. And it's brilliant and I love it. And it's really just kind of a, a, a truly unique film, except for I feel like he's got another film that he's done that with as well, um, that he's doing currently. But at the time, it was completely unique and fantastic. But it's very unusual when we're seeing these kind of films where we're seeing characters, seeing the character grow up on screen, but then they have to recast constantly. I'm thinking like Goodfellas or yeah. The Godfather, that kind of thing. It's unusual to have your character grow up because your actor is growing up over 12 years. In the words of Kath and Kim, it's unusual. Yeah, it's unusual. It's different. It's different. Yeah, it's, it's unusual. Um, it is. And it's, it's, it makes you... Does it hold together, though? Yeah, it's brilliant. It's genuinely brilliant. So, so it's not like made up as they go along. It, it must have been a, 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 a script that he had and said, by hook or by crook, I'm going to finish this over a decade. Yeah, like he, he developed it. He developed the script as he was making the film. So he, he had 12 years to work on the script. And, um, you know, that's... That's helpful because <laughs> no, you don't normally get 12 years to write a script unless you have no deal in place. Um, it's a, it's also a big risk because what happens if halfway through one of your main important yeah. lead characters dies or they decide or the kid decides, you know, I don't want to do acting anymore. Well, that's kind of did what happen. What do you do? Well, because Lorelai Linklater is his daughter 
And when she's a kid, she's fantastic. But as she gets older, you can tell that she just doesn't want, want to be an actress. So she's in fewer and fewer scenes and she becomes less relevant to the story. In terms of the overall emotion, it must have been really tough for for Linkletter to... Is it Linkletter or Linklater? I can never remember. Linklater. Linklater. Um, it must have been really tough for him to remind the actors how they were characterizing the characters and the emotional place that maybe he left off that last time we did filming three years ago um i guess so but i mean i assume he would have showed them uh, you know footage that he had to remind them um mm. it's very, is it very it's vignette-y? is it very much like oh we're gonna do 20 minutes at this age then we'll leap forward to this age it varies is it like moonlight remember, in that respect from what i remember it varies it's it's linear, so it starts at the beginning and it ends uh-huh. at the end, and, and it doesn't have flashbacks, I don't think, until possibly the end. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't do flashbacking or anything. It just it just tells a linear story, and I think that there are. It's not evenly weighted, so he can be seven years old for maybe thirty minutes, and then he's twelve years old for ten minutes. Um, right. Okay. But it's fantastic. And I, my favourite game with it is to watch Patricia Arquette's hair and be like, ah, oh, that's season two of Medium. Ah, oh, that's season five of Medium. <laughs> when her hair kept changing. <laughs> so yeah, that's my Netflix. Okay, I will definitely give that a watch. Mine, and I've already recommended this to you and we've already chatted about this slightly, is a documentary from 2017 by Tim Wardle and it's called Three Identical Strangers. And I watched it on your you recommendation. Did. Fantastic. Yes, it is absolutely brilliant. It's just, at its core, it is just a brilliant piece of storytelling. It's a, it's it's a oral history, I guess, of this weird um, moment where this guy, this young Jewish guy, goes off to college and he's arriving on his first day, and people are saying, "Hey, how are you? How are you, David? You're right." They, they think he's called something else, mm. and he's thinking everyone's really, really <laughs> friendly, yeah. and it turns out that a year before, someone who looks exactly like him had been there. So he links up with him and they realise they are twins. But then it's in the paper and then a third one shows up and they realise, fuck, we're identical triplets. And then shit gets weird. Let's not not discuss it any further because I really don't think we should spoil it. This isn't one that people are going to have seen. No, no, no. I mean... What I just said there is yeah, the, the first premise of the minutes. film. That yeah. happens within the first five, ten yeah. minutes. What happens next is is crazy. And I I couldn't see where it was going. No. And every time you I think, oh, well, it's going it to it's gonna bottom out any second. It's going to start to get a bit dry. It doesn't because another crazy twist is thrown in or another real life person who's just bizarre and has their own strange agenda comes along and it's fascinating and yeah it's that's a great recommendation i recommended this to my friend michael who is also helping us out with the technicalities Shout of recording producer remotely michael. producer michael um he weirdly could see where it was going eh? has michael got a twin <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, weirdly, Michael was an only child, and he's very much an only child. Oh. He his life basically is lockdown, so he's had no problem with lockdown. We're the most he high functioning lockdowners in, in England, I think. Yeah, he could go from living in his room to living in his car. He has no problem. <laughs> so he was live texting me saying, 15 minutes in, I think it's going to be X, Y, Z. And I'm thinking, he's guessed it. But I just, I couldn't. I couldn't see where it was going. And there were bits that were happening that I thought, ah, now I know. And then, Mm. bloody hell, I did not know. Because later on, it loops back to sort of shine a little bit more light. or, Or something, things happen where you start looking at past events completely differently. It is a a brilliant, brilliant piece of filmmaking. There's no, and I don't think there's any fat. I think it's completely fat free. It's so compelling. There's no bagginess. It's in, out. It's really quick. It's like 90 minutes and it's, it's a perfect documentary. Yeah, I agree. Let's flip to the BFI player, British Film Institute player, uh, which you can access through Amazon or through BFI themselves. I access through Amazon. What's your recommendation? 
My recommendation is a film that came out this year. I think it was just... Was it this year? I think it came out just before lockdown. I can't remember. But it's um, <laughs> it's available right, to rent <laughs> on BFI. And uh-huh. it's a film called And Then We Danced. It's, I've never heard of it. It's directed by a Swedish director called Leven Arkin. And mm-hmm. um, it's basically the story of a traditional Georgian dancer. And he's living at home with his grandmother and his mother and it's, it's this kind of very restrictive Georgian society that he's, he lives in. And then one day this new guy turns up at dance class and it completely changes everything. It's a Swedish production, but it's set and filmed in Georgia. And it's just so beautifully done. Um, I think that obviously it's, it's a fantastic reminder that, yes, people in the Western world of our sort can enjoy a certain kind of freedom and that's fantastic but elsewhere in the world being gay is still very much not okay um, oh is it a homosexual movie oh it's a gay movie yeah so he kind of there's, oh, there's okay. this romance Sorry, between the two dancers um oh okay what's it and, called again and then we danced and then we dance. Yeah, it's just beautiful. And it's done so well because I, it can be cringeworthy when it's that unrequited gay love. That story has been told so mm-hmm. many times. But this film does it in such a unique way. And it is partly the Georgian setting because I don't know that much about, about Georgia. I've never been there. But to see it in this film... I only is... hear about it once a year in Eurovision. Right, exactly. It's like, where is that? I, don't know, and I always America. forget that it's not the state of yeah, America. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Georgia? <laughs> Um, it's just fantastic I really recommend it it's very art there's house been a re- there's, there's been a but that's that's good I mean I'm sold there's there's been a real cool spate of those kind of films over the last mm. couple of years obviously Call Me By Your Name well um, 2017 was the God's year that country. had yeah the, those two Beach Rats those two films um, yeah. Moonlight came Beach out. Rats yeah yeah Beach Rats was a, I, I don't know if I'd put Beach Rats in that category though because it's not about unrequited love. It's about a guy who seems to be on the sort of sexuality spectrum. But mm. the film and therefore the character doesn't make its mind up in, in Beach yeah. Rats. I, I Lovely think to look at. I love a bit of ambiguity. I think that... And yeah, I mean, obviously it looks gorgeous because he is gorgeous. But I love mm-hmm. the ambiguity Paris it plays Dickinson. with. And I can see why it annoyed a lot of people. Okay, so that's called... Remind me what it was called again. And Then We Danced. And then we danced. Yeah. Mine on the BFI player is a film with one of the longest titles in a film I've ever seen. I know what you did last uh, summer. <laughs> again and again and again. <laughs> it's called Love is the Devil, semicolon, Study for a Portrait of Francis Bacon. It's oh. a 1998 film by John Mabry. Often, I think it is slightly missold because it has a pre-Bond Daniel Craig in it. And because Brilliant. of... The fact that he is James Bond, his face is on the poster. Mm. His face is the artwork. But it's not just about him. It's really about uh, Francis Bacon, who is one of Britain's most balmiest painters. He was a complete <laughs> drunk, but his his nightmarish images are phenomenal. He's one of my favourite. Mm. Um, but well, he, he inspired, this... you know, Science of the Lambs, all that kind of stuff, didn't he? So and torn stabs <laughs> quite literally so he, um he has this relationship with this guy who broke into his house and his studio so Derek Jacoby plays Francis Bacon and you would think it's Francis Bacon because the hmm. the resemblance is uncanny hmm. it's uncanny so it's really about the relationship between the two of them and it's not a, a set narrative it just seems to be you just dip into the life and then you dip out and you meet the characters and the world that it exists in. It's more of an observation piece that sort of vignettes that are strung together. It's noticeable really for the fact that there's not one single Francis Bacon painting in the film. They weren't allowed to use them. Oh, wow. So it's still alive. visually the film... No, no, he died... Oh, he died way before the film came out. He died oh. like uh 85 86 i think mm. um he was a drunk as the best are <laughs> how far are you into that bottle <laughs> <of beer? laughs> who are you looking at 
you. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Um, I'm the least alcoholic so person you know. Because there are no Francis Bacon images in the film, the imagery of the film takes on the characteristics of Francis Bacon's images. Mm. So there's lots of shooting reflections in curved pieces of metal. There's shooting through glass that sort of distorts people's features. And it really it brings a, a menace to the whole situation, the mm. whole non-storyline. Mm. It can be a hard watch because of the fact that it doesn't have a, a, a straight narrative, mm -hmm. but it's, it's really rewarding and it's a bit of a hidden, a bit of a forgotten gem of British filmmaking. Mm, okay. I, I have heard of it, but I, I don't hear of it often. Like it's not one that's really well known. I think it's known among Tilda critics. Tilda Swinton's in like, it. Yeah. Yeah. So she, yeah, that makes sense. Um, she did a lot of stuff before I discovered her. I mean, I didn't discover yeah. her. <laughs> I mean, until I became aware of who she was. <laughs> well, she was Derek Jarman's I think the muse. first thing, yes, and I think the first thing I've ever, I ever saw her in was The Beach. Yeah, I think that that's the one that really and, uh, pushed her up into the spotlight. Ah, so I'm not, I'm not alone on. She that. was kind and of in the art did... world, like there was, she did like Orlando and things like that, and. Yes. But I think because the beach was Leonardo DiCaprio and she is mm -hmm. utterly terrifying in that terrifying. film. Terrifying. That's <laughs> the is. film that made her. And that's why she was so good to play the Ice Queen mm -hmm. in The the Wizard, Narnia. The Lion and whatever it is, Wardrobe. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Yeah, she was the witch. Is that right? Yeah. She was the Ice Queen witch. So that's yeah. my BFI player. Brilliant. Let's move on to Mubby. Mubby. Uh, Mubby Mubby. My recommendation is it's difficult with Mubby Mubi because obviously they have a rolling schedule. At any given time, they have 30 films on. One film is taken away per day and one film is added. So mm. the film's only there for 30 days. Yes. So I'm sorry if it's not there when you're listening to this, but I've picked a mid-list, mid-schedule film that hopefully will still be there when you're listening to this. And so like a two weeks to go film. Yeah. And it's the only one I've actually seen within those last the newest two weeks that's helpful yes um but the film is called water lilies and it's a 2007 french drama uh written and directed by celine skiama ah who... yeah there's two of her films on there at the moment portrait of a lady on fire oh yes that's her new one she did yeah, I think that might have just left actually, but I tried to watch it and I found it excruciatingly boring. Oh no! Well, you I got love like fifteen but minutes. You love in. Celine Scammer because you've seen one of her other films. Did she do Tomboy? She did Tomboy. She did Tomboy. Yes, which I really, we covered really liked last Tomboy. year, year before, two years ago, I think, on the podcast. Uh, a couple of years ago, for our first year, two thousand seventeen, yeah. so nearly three. Yeah, and she's so Waterloo is, I think, is her yeah, it's her debut, um, and mm -hmm. it's about the sexual awakening of um three 15 year old girls which sounds very first but obviously it's not it sounds legal <laughs> i know it's france <laughs> come on um oh okay they're gonna have sex at birth in france and the, the reason it's called water lilies is because they are synchronized swimmers um and it's just beautiful I, i've not seen it for a long time but when i saw it on that it was on movie i thought I really actually do really want to watch that again. And it's just this beautiful, sensitive, it's only eight to five minutes. You know, it's like a little, a little kind of French fancy. A little just, uh, pop -pop beautiful. Um, little, a little bite to eat before the pizza. <laughs> it's beautiful. I really recommend it. So that is my I movie. will. I will watch that. And I will try and watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm. Well, apparently it's got a fantastic ending. So What, Portrait mm. of a Lady on Fire? It's probably the portrait. It's just probably on fucking fire. <laughs> Got a really hot ending. <laughs> so I um, You know when you, you watch a film and you think... Or you start watching a film and you think, I'm not in the mood for this. I shouldn't be watching it. Yeah, because all it's, the time. It's really disrespectful to the, to the film and you should, you know, put yourself in the mindset of... I should be wanting to watch this. Mm. That's how I was feeling when I started Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So I will go back to it. I'm going to have to rent it. You might have been come off movie, burned out now. after having watched 60 films in six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> 50? Don't overdo I'm 50-something. <laughs> My Mubai recommendation mm -hmm. is, and it's only just gone on really, so it's going to be there for the next couple of weeks, is a, a very short documentary from last year by a filmmaker called Elizabeth Sankey. And it's called Romantic Comedy. Oh. It's it's basically a 
an extended visual essay into what makes up a romantic comedy Hmm. and why are they so troubling? Why is it always white, heterosexual, heteronormative, middle-class couples? Why are the women always uh, at the service to the men? So if you've got a, a... a female character who is the lead, so the Sergeant Bullock or whoever, and they are excelling in their career, they have to be offset by being completely ditzy or a klutz. Or neurotic. I'm in the movie. Yeah. I'm the klutz. In service of the man. So it's a really interesting um, dissertation, really. It, It feels more in line with sort of every frame is a painting or uh, the nerd writer, that kind of YouTube-based essay. But, yes, it's a little bit too woke, Uh as everything seems to be right now, but it's really hard to disagree with everything Mm. this filmmaker says. So basically she's completely pulled it apart and the genre has just unraveled at her feet. Well, the thing is, she says that she grew up obsessed with romantic comedies. Mm. And then as soon as she got married and grew up, um, mm. well, she probably grew up first, then got married. <laughs> she got <laughs> she married at 12 and then she grew up fast. <laughs> She's a little water lily. Um, <laughs> she realized that it's all complete bullshit. But, you know, they're her guilty pleasure. Mm. You know, she knows she shouldn't like them, but she can't help but get hoodwinked in Mm. well it's like how we felt when we watched love simon where it was just this it it adhered to all the romantic comedy tropes with a fun mystery obviously Mm -hmm. but it was a gay story so therefore for us it had such emotional power um so that's why i think the straight rom-com is traditionally the realm of the straight woman because it has that emotional resonance that feels so personal to them the way that love simon but it also sells and it sells yeah well love sells it's not it's not kid ourselves it is a formula yeah you could watch anything from you know 51st dates through to made in manhattan or (laughs) any of you're gonna name any good ones (laughs) terrible films yeah um or harry met sally yeah. it's all the same it's all the same film and even chasing amy kind of follows it i really hate films that aren't about a romance like that's not what the story is about it can be about anything else but by the end of the film the guy and the girl are together it really gets on my nerves like that's that's a trope that even in the best films if that happens i'm like oh for fuck's sake so it's all happy because she goes the into guy that. gets with the girl she does say um you know, certain films, it, romantic comedies are not looked favorably on by the critics and they're not mm. lauded by the awards bodies. So if you want to make a romantic comedy and you want it to not be, you know, decimated by everyone involved, mm. then you've got to disguise it somehow. So she sort of uses Silver Linings Playbook oh. as a example where it's basically a romantic comedy, but everyone involved got an Oscar. Yeah, and th- things like um, films that I love, like Bring It On. It's a teen comedy about cheerleaders, but she still gets with the guy at the end. Like that's yeah. your happy ending is she gets with the guy at the end. Those are our recommendations. Brilliant. Had you seen any of the ones I recommended? Um, Three Identical Strangers. Oh yes, of course. And what was your Amazon one? Brazil. Oh uh, yeah, so no, I've seen one of your four recommendations. I don't think I've seen any of yours. That's not Brilliant. unusual. That's why we work, Rob. That's why we're just a perfect podcast marriage. Because we're chalk and cheese. <laughs> what's what's your favourite thing that you've watched in lockdown? Oh, well, I rewatched Wonder Boys. Oh, yeah. You texted me about that. Uh, Wonder Boys is just this... It sort of disappeared without a trace. Yeah. It came out in 2000. It's a Curtis Hansen film, so before he did 8 Mile. Mm. And it's so it's so economically made there's no fat on this film it's about a writer who just happens to be um a teacher with tenure at a university somewhere and seven years ago he wrote he wrote a book that was uh, a a, an industry sensation it was his debut book and now seven years later he's struggling to finish his second book 
what started as oh it would just be a 300 page book is now up to about 1300 pages mm-hmm. and he can't find the ending and it's the um it's the university's sort of literary festival of that weekend where they celebrate new writers in the town and in the university and sort of like agents and editors come into town looking for the new hot thing so this guy played by michael douglas his literary editor played by robert downey jr in a role that was made for him Mm. and this is pre-iron man so he's actually acting yeah he's actually playing a character that's not robert downey jr he's not doodling um he comes in um and he wants the new book but he also takes a shine to this guy called James, played by Tobey Maguire in a pre-Spider-Man role when no one knew who the fuck he was and he was an actual actor <laughs> and he actually acted and he got film roles. Um, it's, 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 it's like a day in the life, even though it's set overnight. Um, and it's such, a, it's such a warm film. It's very cynical. It's not visual, but you would expect that from a book, from, from a film about... The literary world so the script is one of the sharpest wittiest fat free scripts i've ever had the pleasure of watching mm. you um i watched border which is this completely bizarre swedish film um it's about a, a woman who works as a like an airport security and mm-hmm. she has like sort of neanderthalic features she looks really strange and mm-hmm. uh, one day a guy comes through security. Oh, she has this weird ability to like sniff out people who are importing illegal substances or are in some way bad. It's really bizarre. Um, and then one day this guy comes through the security having just got off a plane and she kind of smells him coming. <laughs> and <What>? um, yeah, <laughs> she smells him and coming. he looks he looks just like her like he has the same kind of neanderthalic features um and the story just goes to really bizarre even more bizarre places than what i have just described romantic comedy it's uh it's definitely a romance it's it's typically swedish it's really weird but fantastic i really loved it have you watched anything that you really wanted to like but you just didn't um i really really wanted to like scary stories to tell in the dark and that just, just when the pandemic was kind of really hitting the UK, Amazon suddenly unloaded a ton of new films to its subscribers mm-hmm. and Scary Stories to Tell Oh, is it Dark. an Amazon Prime film? Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was released in cinemas. But they oh, okay. suddenly were like, here's Hustlers, here's uh, Scary Stories, and here's some other stuff as well. I think it was American Animals has just gone on, um, which is on my list. Is it a vignette? Uh, sorry, not a vignette. Is it an anthology? That's kind of what it's been sold as, but it kind of isn't, though. It's it's set in the 60s. It's about teenagers. They go to this haunted house. Weird stuff happens. And then when they go home that night, each of them then encounters a different terrifying monster. And mm. But it all ties back in together, obviously, with the house and with the main character, who's this kind of tomboy girl. Um, I really, really wanted to love it because aesthetically it's perfect. The monsters are brilliant. Like it's, it's such pure Guillermo del Toro. He produced it. It's really like, Ah. it's him. It's, it looks so fantastic in the same way that Don't Be Afraid of the Dark looked fantastic. The one with Katie Holmes from 2009. Um, Is that where she got her teeth smacked out and then she got folded backwards? Yeah. I think the teeth were somebody else. I think I watched that with you in the cinema. I think we went to a press screening for that. Scary Stories is a fun monster film. It could have been a lot better than it was. It, you know, it looks is fantastic. Is it aimed at kids, though? Well, that's the thing. It, it, no, not really. It's, it's pretty horrifying. It's not, mm. it's not goosebumps. Just not thought out. Yeah, it, and it's weirdly, it's set in the 60s, which, which kind of gives it an interesting vibe. But then it's not set in the 60s because all the kids are really, really modern. They all behave in yeah. really modern ways. So I really wish I'd loved it, but shame. I watched The Cook, The Thief, his wife and oh her lover. god helen mirren helen mirren yes 1980 something 89 i think it was 1992 oh 1989 peter mm. greenaway um it's about a, a, a wife of an abusive criminal and then in the restaurant that her husband owns she sort of finds solace in this regular guest and they sort of start having a an affair behind the 
the the criminal guy's back and i really wanted to like it and it's i mean visually it's it's brilliant it's very f sort of great form great color people will change costumes for no reason hmm. um halfway through a scene when they just move into a new set so i can appreciate it i just found it baggy long just quite boring in places mm. and it's a shame because it's a cult the style Classic. the style well yeah but the style i think i think that's because of the style in which it was made not necessarily what they were using to make it mm. that's one of those films so that i know about because of my totalfilm.com lists <laughs> oh back in the day when you were yeah, making was it, it was like this. best cannibal scenes or something i don't know i don't know yes it does end yeah. that way and i mean it's very revealing for um, Helen Mirren. She shows everything. Oh, well, that's what she's... She was famous for that for a while, wasn't she? She was the sexy Brit actress. Everything. Everything? Everything. Even her bumhole. No, she's not Anne Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, that's some good recommendations there. That's a lot. That's a lot. Keep watching those films, Joshua. I'll try. I'm currently watching Sharp Objects. See if you can get up to 20. All right. Well, let's see how long lockdown <laughs> carries on. And I'll see if I can... Well, lockdown's going on for a while. So we'll do another one of these soon. Well, we need to, we need to carry on our um, comic book season, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're only halfway through comic books. So, oh, yeah. We'll record those. We'll go and listen to those episodes. All on the usual places. Yeah. Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Acast. And we're on, Tune are we on Twitter, Joshua? We're on Twitter, at Torn Stubbs Pod. You know, come and have a chat. We're all locked down. We're all feeling the, the lockdown madness. Um, unless you are part of the team Torn Stubbs, where we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're fucking loving it. <laughs> yeah, I'd be what happy are you watching? To go on for longer, just with zero deaths. Zero deaths. And it would be nice to go and sit in a coffee shop or go and look in a bookshop, buy a book. That'd be quite nice. Oh. You know, I was yeah. thinking sometimes I just like going into a bookshop, not necessarily to buy. I just want to like, if I go and like, look at, oh, Brett Easton Ellis books. I don't even look at them. I just want to know they're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just it's nice comforting. to see them on the shelf. Yeah, they exist. Yeah. I've got them on my shelf, but it's just nice to see them at Waterstone's shelf. Yeah. You just know that people can buy them if they want to. We're off to not do anything because <laughs> we're in lockdown. We're off to lockdown. Until next time. I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut!